0: Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast, where you'll hear right from the source how people like you have been able to buy and build their businesses across different industries all over the country. Dan Claps is the co founder of Career Transition Leads, Nurture Assist, and Find a Business Online. Christian Datalak is a franchise consultant with Find a Business Online, and he heads up business development for Career Transition Leads and Nurture Assist. He also runs an independent franchise consulting business, The Franchise Guys. Together, they formed relationships with hundreds of successful business owners who are excited to share their stories with you. Now, here are your hosts, Dan and Christian. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Franchise Founders Podcast with your host, Christian Dadalak, and uh, co-host and co-host Dan Claps. Dan, welcome.
1: Thanks for having having me, Christian.
0: All right. And today, we have uh, two powerhouses in the franchise industry on with us. Uh, uh, Zach and Josh, uh, Zach uh, Butler and uh, Josh Golnick of uh, Horsepower Brands. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us.
2: Oh, thanks.
0: All righty. Well, I think before we start off here, I, for our audience, I think it's a, a fantastic opportunity to uh, hear a little bit more about your backgrounds and your story and how you got started in franchising. I think for many of us, franchising sort of found us instead of us finding franchising. So I'm curious for the both of you
3: how that all happened. So, uh, Josh, why don't you go ahead and, and go first? Yeah, so my background in franchising started about 10 to 11 years ago. Um, I grew up in a blue collar household and knew nothing about franchising until I was about four years into building a tree business by the name of Monster Tree Service, which quickly grew to be an 800 pound gorilla in eastern Pennsylvania, was looking at expanding on a corporate level to open up in Delaware, as well as New Jersey. And as I was going through that process, I actually met somebody who was in the franchising industry that brought up. Uh, whether, th- whether my business was a franchise or not, because it had great systems and processes. And so I uh, began the exploration of franchising and kind of put the grassroots growth of corporate growth on kind of pause and the back burner and started looking at franchising and was really drawn into it. So in 2012, I officially franchised the business, completed an FDD, I think it was around May of uh, 2012. And a month later, went to the IFE at the Jacob Javis Center in New York. Dan, you've been many times. I've seen you there with, uh, with the idea that, man, I'd probably go meet all these people that are just going to fall head over heels about my franchise opportunity because I thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I walked out of there with probably 25 to 50 leads and closed no deals. And so uh, the wind was taken out of my sail a little bit, but over the first few years, I was able to... Uh, award over 28 franchise territories within that business. Um, it did take close to a year to actually get the first deal done. But then once that first one you know, hit off, then we were able to close the other ones right behind it in a fairly short period of time. So uh, we averaged about seven to eight franchisees a year. The average pack was two, two locations that each franchisee bought um, and just really quickly caught the bug for franchising. But later, I can probably talk to you a little bit about my greatest failure, where in those first uh, two to three years, I actually awarded what many would believe to be a cake that was half baked and had to pause development for a two-year period where I invested over two years, paused royalties over $2 million to get all those franchisees on the right path. And that's actually how I met Zach Butler when I went to go relaunch development. So obviously franchising has been good to me. I've built a career in it, uh, had great success with Monster Tree Service growing into 240 franchise units, acquired Redbox Plus in June of 18. Uh, with Zach at the helm on development, we awarded over 305 franchise units in three years. And then today, we're focused on Horsepower Brands, our portfolio company. But I want to let Zach tell a little bit about his background in franchising. And then we can talk more about how we, how we met and what we're building together today.
2: Yeah, thanks, Josh. So I have a unique background in franchising. I've been in almost every seat possible. I've been the part-time associate at a franchise location. I've been the manager of a corporate location. I've been a franchisee, a multi-unit franchisee. Uh, I've been been a franchisee doing 40 million uh, in revenue. I've been in franchise development now the franchisor. So I've got a unique perspective on all kind of all sides of that industry. But my, my start came in when I was 18, I started working in part-time at a company that was in the nutrition, uh, retail nutrition space. Uh, They began franchising a few years later and I was good at that. And, uh, uh, I became the manager overnight. Everybody quit and decided that, you know what, I, I could do this full time. So I convinced the founder to co-sign an SBA loan. And I uh, hightailed it to Florida and opened my first location when I was 20. And I had really had a lot of success. I uh, you know, My first location did $1.3 million the first year. Uh I opened another location. That one did just around a million bucks. And then uh, over from, from start to about three years in, I had built up to buy eight million in revenue with seven locations and in that nutrition world or weight loss and sports nutrition amazon really came in and, and uh flipped that on its head in, in retail and i ended up losing everything and going bankrupt and having to start all over from scratch and didn't know what i was going to do and another franchisee who had 10 locations had a really good infrastructure but they needed someone for sales and marketing so i'll, I'll never forget i negotiated a twenty-two thousand dollar annual salary for equity and future brands and we do that from 10 locations to 68, uh, did up upwards to 40 million dollars in revenue. And the 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 corporate uh the corporate entity of that franchise brand sold the private equity. They wanted to make changes that my partner was on board with, but I was not, and I saw the writing on the wall. So I sold my equity and I went back out into the professional world and had no idea what I wanted to do. I'd been in franchising for 13 years, it's all I ever known. And I got into franchise development, that's where I met Josh. Uh, we met at a franchise conference in a pool in Cancun. And uh, we immediately had a connection to hit it off. And uh, I always tell people there's certain people that you meet in life that have the same business values, work ethic, et cetera. And uh, we've built a great relationship over the past few years. And um, we've built out three brands to over uh, 250 units plus at this point. And uh, on the other side of franchise development, I've done up to 10 brands now that uh, from less than 10 to over hundred. And so Josh and I really thought long and hard about where we want to be in life and where do we want to take everything? And we took the capital that, we, that we've that we acquired and we formed Horsepower Brands. And now we're a franchise a conglomerate that has, uh, right now we have four franchise brands and three supporting entities. And our goal is to have 25 concepts by the year 2025 and we're over a, a 28% of the way there.
1: Yeah, I see the board there is starting to pick up behind you. Those are the current brands I'm assuming. Correct.
2: So we have a roofing concept called Mighty Dog Roofing. We have an outdoor lighting concept called Blingle that specializes in holiday lights, landscape lighting, event lighting. We have an insulation concept that focuses on spray foam insulation in both new construction as well as residential. And then we have a, a lawn care concept, which is an a executive-only model that focuses on three services. Uh, lawn care, which is fertilization, aeration, overseeding. Irrigation, which is irrigation repair, uh, winterization, and uh, uh, controller box installations, and then pet waste removal. And so that one's with really three franchises kind of combined into one to make it a fully semi absentee only model.
3: Yeah, in addition, Dan, uh, one of the things that we do in our business is we observe the vendors we do business with, and we believe vendors are a huge extension to any franchise organization. So we've got three vendor verticals, as Zach alluded to, out of the seven businesses, we own four franchisors and three vendor verticals. Today, we do all our own digital marketing through our marketing agency, Franchise Rocket. Uh, We also answer all the phones for our franchisees through Powerhouse Call Solutions, which is our internal call center. We also have uh, a sales component to that where we try to do um, phone sales as well, uh, handle a lot of follow up for our franchisees leads being in the service business. We recognize that the uh, follow-up is extremely important in the first 48 to 72 hours to really increase close ratios if you're not able to succeed through our one-day close. All of our sales processes to have a one-day close process to them, but obviously not every consumer, residential, and commercial is going to be in a position to close within one day. So oftentimes there is a lot of follow-up. And the last thing with the outdoor lighting brand uh, distribution of the lighting products, everything's imported from Asia. And so there's not a lot of products sitting on the ground in the U S to meet the demands of franchisees. So we launched lights for Christmas, which is our distribution arm. We actually have over $10 million in product in route from Asia for the 2022 season, which we'll warehouse all that and ship it as needed to our franchisees. And so we really think well ahead of uh, what our franchisees need for success so that they are not at the mercy of what's available to them within the local market from local distributors. It's
1: fantastic. So one of the questions that we had was, you know, obviously you guys are talking to many different brands that you're potentially bringing into your portfolio. When most of the people listening to this podcast are franchise e-candidates, people that are exploring transitioning into business ownership. Our team, we're always educating them to look for four key attributes when looking at a franchise, the leadership team that runs that franchise, the, the USP or the unique selling proposition of that franchise, what they're doing in a market that's unique and, and different uh, the financial unit economics for each franchisee what they can, you know, perform and the the validation that our franchisees happy. And those are the roots of how our clients explore as they look at franchises. Uh, can you guys touch on what you look for? Uh, it probably those things as well, but in addition, all the brands that you talk to, how does someone make it into the horsepower arsenal?
3: So for us, I can take it first uh, for the first few seconds and then flip it to Zach. But uh, number one, for us being, we are very much focused on home service. Every one of our businesses also has a commercial component. We, we want really uh, speed to lead. We want to, and speed to close in a sense of once our franchisees get into business, we want them to be able to get leads quickly and we want them to be able to close jobs quickly because that's what's going to generate revenue in their business. So the residential component is the most important to start that. Every business also has a commercial component, but it's a little bit more of uh, a farming event where you need to build the reputation amongst the franchise the franchise. Uh, customers. to to be Be in a business where it's fragmented in certain parts of the country or needed in certain parts of the country. These are, these services are needed across the board, but then Zach can kind of hit on the other unique profile pieces that we're looking for in each one of the uh, businesses that we're actually acquiring when it comes to uh, the other things that really are important to us.
2: Like Josh said, we, we focus on uh, home services and, uh, the benefit there is the advertising strategy is relatively similar and so when we look at what kind of industries to be in and then specifically what type of uh, concept in the industry it's important uh, the first is average unit volume we want a, a scalable business model that can do an average unit volume system-wide of a million dollars quickly uh, so when we looked at our heroes brand for an example there's three franchises in one because we want to be able to scale up and do large amounts of revenue and that's partly because the candidates that we're attracting are more sophisticated, higher net worth, and they want bigger opportunities. So the first one is we want large average unit volume. The second is the labor force has to be recruitable, and uh, there can't be a shortage. So I'll take fencing for an example. We'd love to be in fencing at some point, but the labor force is really hard to attract and find because it's just general labor and for, uh, for uh, um, the most part. But you look at our roofing business for an example. The installation labor is subcontracted, which is easy to find. And we're hiring sales and operations people, which are easy to find. And so the labor force has got to be easy to find. And we need to be able to help recruit at our end. Uh, number three, customer acquisition. Like Josh stated, we want industries with a large consumer demand and where there's a lot of competition, but where that competition is very fragmented. This way, at the corporate level, we can take digital marketing from, from the corporate office, and we can get that phone to ring. So when we say, how do we drive customers? The one thing that just drives me crazy. I know I've talked to you about this, Dan, is the franchise or say the same thing. How do you drive leads and their responses? We have great digital marketing and we have a, a local networking plan. That's really good, which means that they really don't have anything. So we're out creating websites that generate leads for the franchises that are unaffiliated. We're creating online directories. We're creating multiple GMB pages and, uh, uh, and, and, uh, Uh, thought leadership type activities in all these industries to to really solidify that that concept is the most trusted, uh, the most professional uh, 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 organization within their field. So we want to make sure that we can get the fund ring at our end. And then uh, the last is is really just operations. Uh, The the operational level to operate that business uh, has to be repeatable and has to be franchisable. And sometimes, you know, there's people that try to franchise things that don't either have enough volume, or they can't find people, or the you know, there's no real, there's no real way to target the customers. So uh, uh, we try to knock out all of those things. And if we can get all those really checked off the uh, the list, then we think we have something great.
0: Love it. So something that I've, I found interesting, Zach, that you shared with me before is your take on multi unit ownership. And you know, obviously, there's a ton of franchises out there that will they'll sell a 10 pack they'll sell an eight pack what i found interesting was your your perspective on on uh multi-unit ownership and where you'll cap it at a certain point because it's not just about selling franchises it's about helping your franchisees be successful and getting units open and getting them to to get to a certain point where they can be successful and ultimately penetrate that market so i was curious if you could share a little bit more with us about that perspective and and why you feel that way
2: it's shocking to be honest the, uh, so when you look at franchisees, the level of capital they have and for the size of the territory or the number of locations, the goal is to get them the best return possible on their capital or their investment as well as their time. And it, the, the amount of territory or the amount of locations is almost irrelevant. Somebody could have two locations and make way more money than if you hadn't tried to start 10 or uh, trying to develop 10. So from a franchisee perspective, Logistically efficient is is important. Being close to your business when you first start if you don't have a lot of business ownership experience, but we only sell someone a max of five locations. We don't have a development schedule. You're opening all the locations at the same time. And we want you to get uh, a return on your investment. We want you to scale your business appropriately. So our franchise model is built to inject certain aspects of advertising and infrastructure day one. So you can front load that with say an SBA loan, which allows you to cash flow the business at a much faster pace. On the flip side, as a franchisor, it makes zero financial sense to sell somebody more than five territories. I believe the statistic that I read was that uh, less than 5% of franchisees that are sold five locations actually open them at once, less than five. And so you're just taking people's money, knowing they're not going to open them, which then shows you have uh, sold but unopened, which is a negative statistic. So as a franchisor, you're trying to build a great business with successful, happy franchisees. And uh, you got to be realistic on what their bandwidth and what they can open and the amount of capital they have.
3: One of the things that Zach brought up that's interesting is de- how we don't have development schedules because we're in the service business. So when a franchisee comes and says, hey, I want to buy, we start with one territory. And if they want to buy three, two, three, four, or five, because we stop at a maximum of five, the starting package an employee base they have to start with grows with whatever size they do. So if someone comes to us and goes, just use Blingle as an example, in our outdoor lighting business, if they buy one territory, they have to start with like one van and one crew and and all of the basic stuff. But if they come and they say, I want to buy five, they now have to start with like three to four vans. They've got to buy a much larger equipment package to start even from the product they need to take in an inventory. So it's a difference of are you buying sort of the small, medium or large package? And what is your uh, risk tolerance and your wherewithal of how committed are you? Because the way that people look at multi-unit a lot of times in franchising, guys, is that they say, oh, you're going to start the first one and the first one's going to fund the second one and the third one. And the the third one's going to fund the fourth one and the fifth one. And but when does the owner actually get to take any money out of the business? Or are they just rolling all the proceeds to just open the next one and the next one and the next one. And in my opinion, that's just buying yourself a job. So like our franchise candidates, they absolutely love the transparency because when they're looking at the unit economics, you know, calculators that we use in our businesses, they're going through unit level economics and figuring out how much money can I make with this business? And they're going through validation. They're hearing from the franchise candidates what they're going to need to do, how how they're able to perform in the market, and the type of results that they're getting. Because when you take the other approach, and you sell a franchisee one, and you compare them to a franchisee that bought three, and a franchisee that bought five, and you didn't change the initial starting package, year one, year two, and year three average revenues on each one of those size franchisees is exactly the same across the board. So that's why we learned over the years of doing this, you have to force people to make a bigger investment and start bigger out of the gate if they're going to do multi-unit. And that's what all of our franchisees do that go multi-unit.
0: That makes a, that makes a ton of sense. I think it, that's a perspective that, that I find isn't as uh, common in the franchise industry, which really is a testament to, uh, to you all and how you look at things. So that's awesome. Uh, Josh, a question for you. I'm curious what your perspective, what would you say to a candidate that is, they see roofing, they think outdoor lighting, they think insulation, spray foam, blow-in, all of those those types of services. They think, well, I mean, there's got to be a million people in my market that do it. Market saturation, how do I stand out? I'm not sure that that's the right industry for me. So what would you say in response to that to help ease their concerns and obviously help them to realize the truth of, of
3: what the situation actually is? Well, there's. I'll, I'll start by saying there's three major fears that every buyer has. So every franchise candidate that's looking at a business is worried about how am I going to find people? How am I going to get customers? And there's already people in my market providing these services. And it's a saturated market. So why is there really a need for another one? Where I think we create a lot of distance in, in relevance to the competition is that our franchise candidates are entrepreneurs. So we're te- and if they're not already entrepreneurs, we're going to provide them the entrepreneur support to make them successful entrepreneurs. And so in doing so, they're going to be out there and they're going to create a sales and marketing machine under our branding that creates that distance from the competition that allows them to really excel in closing more work, being much more professional about the overall experience. You, know, you think about the way we all buy in, in today's world, and think about your experience with working with contractors. Put contractors aside for a second, but think about anything you want. If you want one of those nice vests that Dan Claps is wearing right now, you can go right online. You can find it through Google, the world's largest search engine. It gives everybody access to everything they want. You can buy it on a site that's going to ship it to you. You're going to have it at your door with free shipping in under two days, because that vest is going to cost over the $75 minimum limit for free shipping. So if you take those types of traits that we're training the average person to experience on a daily basis, and you don't parlay that into your business as a contractor, you're going to lose all the time. And I'm speaking more to the service-based business. I can't speak to the way people do this in other industries, but in our business, we want that same type of interaction. And, And I always challenge every candidate as they're thinking about do, do Is there really a need in my market for another one of these businesses? Pick up the phone and call someone. What's your experience like? And the horror stories we hear are, are funny. Like it's it's almost comical. And you think to yourself like something is sim- – franchisees will come to Discovery Day and go, I figured out that the secret to this business to be successful is just answer my phone. <laughs> and it's like you go, no, no, no. There's a lot more to it. They go, not in my market because guess yeah. what? I called eight companies that provide this service and out of those eight, I left voicemails for all of them and only one or two got back to me and I was only capable of getting one estimate. So I think the secret secret in my market is as simple as answer the phone. And there's a lot more steps behind that. But when we start talking about this and we always like, we know we're going to get that question often. So we always tell people, go, go do, you know, industry research in your market, call people, you know, they're not going to have an experience where they're blown away that they go, I'm never going to be able to compete with these people that are already doing
1: it. Core principle, right? Being there, showing up, answering the phone, you know, and and setting that expectation, that bar there. That's really well said, Josh. Zach, I, I had a question for you. Something that I find so fascinating about what you guys are doing in all of your companies is the lead generation and the amount of proactiveness that you're taking with helping your franchisees get leads myself being in lead generation as a big component of my my livelihood, I so often find business owners, especially new business owners, who will make an investment, have a significant return on their investment in lead gen or marketing efforts, and then turn them off, turn off the funnel, actually not continue investing forward. And what I've seen is you guys are helping them proactively not make that mistake. Can you touch on what you do in, in horsepower with lead gen and with franchise
2: candidates, yeah, and that you're you are one of the guys, that, the first guy to ask how do you generate leads at most of the conferences, Dan. So, I think uh, that was the last one I heard. Is you asked that question at, uh, at the conference the last one we were at, uh, uh, where they were presenting. So, um, for us, it, it comes back to experience, we know the amount of capital that can be returned on growing a franchise brand. We've We've had two exits now. If you can take the first year average unit volume of a brand from 500000 to a million by investing a few million dollars in infrastructure up front, the return long-term for us is absolutely there. For the franchisee, the ramp-up time is significantly faster. Time to profitability is significantly faster. Quality of life is faster, but the most important is they get more attempts at bat faster so they can improve their systems and processes and be more operationally efficient. It's hard to be operationally efficient if you don't have any customers to, to really test. And so when we went through this process, we've worked with the biggest marketing agency in the country that's in franchising with nothing but uh, uh, unaccountability and just plainly disgust. We left that company and we interviewed 12 or so companies. We wanted something that I think is now, I guess it's unique. We wanted a no commission model and we wanted a fixed fee everybody we talked to had 20 to 30% commission on all spends and a fixed fee. And we knew from our experience, because Josh and I have now done this together for almost five years, we knew that that, there's there's too much margin that they're making. It's not fair to the franchisee. And so we finally came across a company that had more of a lead gen background versus an agency background. So the process was a little little cowboy-ish, but they were so transparent it made me want to puke. I'll never forget. I called Josh after the call with this company. I was like, "These are the guys." And Josh like, "Oh, absolutely." And we took we we brought them on to Redbox Plus, and uh, we made we turned that organization in uh, uh, from a lead gen standpoint that was really suffering to the largest uh, provider of roll off leads in the country for that industry. And we did that in less than twelve months. So we knew that the lead gen background was what was missing with the agencies. And so digital marketing is the most fragmented industry out there from what Josh and I can tell. And so we made the decision to make to acquire a controlling interest to that marketing company for us to, so that they could keep up and scale with us. And here's where things got interesting. As a franchisor, if you can pull back the curtains and understand what the margins look like, the activities done to produce results, you then can have a different perspective than the marketing agency does. You can say, well, if we overspend in this area, we get the return faster. And bigger revenues long term, that makes sense. But we know we can see it because we own the company. And so we made a significant investment, and, and the activity that we're doing up front is dramatically different. We're creating multiple GMB pages per location, multiple microsites, no additional cost. The more they spend, that spend, there's no commission. So it's going right out into the marketplace. And uh, what Damon, Dan, you were talking about earlier is when you looked at SEO, Josh and I went back and looked and the average franchisee was spending money on SEO for less than hundred days. And SEO takes six to 12 months minimum. So we front loaded $12,000 for every franchise location into SEO. And uh, with Mighty Dog Roofing, we're seeing that come full circle right now to our franchisees that are coming out on the eighth, ninth month mark. Revenues are just exploding for us. And it's because that every franchisee we place there's $12,000 worth of activity being done at that location that's now connected to the other locations and is starting to compound. And so when we're creating online directories, we're creating sites in roofing and other services that generate leads that are sent to the franchisees. And so the type of activities that we're able to do and spend money on as an organization, a typical franchise brand would not have that luxury. And we just knew that if you're trying to run a franchise brand, culture is, is important and if the phone doesn't ring, it's hard to have a good culture. It's hard to be operationally efficient if you don't have leads. So it all has to start with getting the phone to ring. And we have to be able to do that from our seat here. We can't depend on how good of a networker they are or BNI or other activities or Chamber of Commerce, et cetera.
0: Makes sense to me. I think that that's one of the biggest questions that new franchisees obviously think about is where am I going to get my customers from? And taking that off of the plate of the new franchisee, I think helps them be a lot more comfortable and I think it's more scalable as well. Um, so that, that's fantastic. That's a huge differentiator from a lot of other franchise brands that are out there. No doubt, especially the fact that you essentially acquired uh, your own in-house uh, team, it sounds like. So that's, that's fantastic. One thing I wanted to touch on as well is obviously one big thing in the franchise community. Now a lot of candidates that we work with are interested in semi-absentee ownership. they, the the manage the manager model, you put a general manager in place. And I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what semi-absentee ownership looks like. A lot of people think that I can just invest in this business and then money's going to show up in my bank account or my mailbox. And it doesn't exactly work like that. So can you walk us through with horsepower brands, the extent of semi-absentee ownership, what it looks like? And then, uh, and Josh, this is a question for you. And then part two question would be, how do you find and retain that person? Is it Are you giving them some phantom equity? Are you giving them a percentage uh, performance-based pay like based on EBITDA or top-line revenue? What does that look like? What do you recommend? So first thing, semi-absentee ownership, what it looks like with you guys. And then second thing
3: is how to get that, that GM in place. Well, Christian, I'd say if, if the semi-absentee model is not just money showing up in your mailbox, then I don't know what it is. Hmm. Uh, that's news to me if it's not like that. I'm just kidding with you. Uh, so- you know, it's it's very common. It's it's very common that we work with people that are looking for semi absentee, but we're very, very transparent in our process, as well as the validation um, alludes very quickly to the amount of time that a franchisee is going to have to put into the business. We never advise somebody to get into a business and just be so hands off that they have no clue what's going on and just strictly trust the manager. Uh, we've seen that work in in a few rare cases where somebody has. Um, a portfolio of businesses or has been a multi-business entrepreneur in the past and has a great management team already in place that they know that individual. But if you're going to buy a franchise and then just go hire somebody off the street that interviews well to run and manage your business and you're going to just be completely hands-off, it's going to be a very rocky road to get to success. So we typically recommend that even someone that's looking to be semi-absentee, try to devote at least 15 hours a week to the business. So that they have a few hours a day that they are involved. Uh, we were we just had a few weeks ago one of our owners' conferences with Mighty Dog Roofing. It was the first annual owners' conference, and many of the franchise owners there that are semi-absentee that have other, you know, either a full-time job or another business or something else that consumes a lot of their time. You know, many of them have said they've got a pretty tight schedule where like maybe they get up a little bit earlier in the morning and they spend an hour or two in the morning to line everything up for the business so that their GM can run everything else for the day and move on. Or they'll put a few hours in in the evening or they can break up some time during during the actual day itself. Our business models cater to semi-absentee or owner-operator. We don't necessarily have a preference because both work in our business, but we do see a higher volume of people that want to be semi-absentee. The line we always tell people is very simple. If you work harder than you've ever worked over the next two years, you're going to build your business to a point where the the reward is going to be well worth the time effort that you put in. And more importantly, as as people start to evaluate because where the balancing act is, is I already have oftentimes I've got a family, I've got a full-time job or I've got a family and I've got another business. And now I'm going to add this other business to the plate. I can't sacrifice my time away from my family But then they're looking at the investment they're making in the business, and they overlook the value that's being built from the asset in the actual business itself. So when you look at the realized annual income off of the business, even though they might not take a ton of cash out of it in the first year or the first 18 months, they can't discount the asset growth that's occurring in the business. I mean, We see franchisees that build a business to north of a million-dollar valuation in a very short period of time. We had a franchisee, in Mighty Dog Roofing just grew his business in the first in the first year, grew at a rapid pace, was one of our top top three performers for 2021, and was able to go out and raise $500,000 on a $5 million valuation on their business and recover all the cash they put into the business, retain 90% ownership, and then bought their second franchise from us. And because of their track record of success in the first brand, they were able to raise $500,000 on the second business on a $2.5 million valuation retaining 75% equity on a business they didn't even launch yet, just because they had built a track record within the investment community of investors that they were going out to, to be able to get them to invest in their business and continue to grow. And that's just one of many stories I could tell. Um, But from a semi-absentee perspective, it's never going to be just pay the franchise fee, send some people through training, and just collect a ton of cash. That will not work. You're going to have to put some time into it. And I'm sure Zach can add to it because Zach works so closely with the development team, and they get this question every day of the week.
2: Yeah, I think that there's some overpromising done with business ownership. Passive income seems to be uh, more and more popular, which I think is somewhat of a fallacy. The uh, when you look at owning a business, it's not for the faint of heart. It's hard, and I think there's a big difference between what's happened as far as perception is. There's a difference now between a business owner and an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur has several businesses and several aspects, but you can't just go from not business owner to entrepreneur without the experience. And so for us, we're, we're, we're fortunate to have the capital and we've, we've had the painful experience of knowing what to do and how to support franchisees. So we provide that well ahead of when it's needed. So our systems have a superior level of support. The lead gen's figured out, Semi absentee is far more possible, and, and they can be far more successful. But it, it, it's definitely not easy. Well, I, you know, there's a lot of candidates I've talked to that would say, "I only have five hours a week to to put into this." I go, "Well, is that is that uh, is that your after six months of building this? That's how much time you have? Because there's no there's nobody that can build a business off five hours a week. It does not exist. So you don't you're not going to have a business. And so you really have to hit them blindly and just say." If you want to build an engine that generates as much income as you're working in your W-2 job, it's not going to be easy. You didn't get to where you are by just coming into work, clocking in, and sitting there and doing nothing. That's not how it works.
1: You you know, it's interesting. I think semi-absentee, the emphasis needs to be on the semi part, not the the absentee part. And I'm looking at four people on this call here all in our offices. Uh, You know, I think semi-absentee can mean you're working on the business. You're going to conferences. You're educating yourself you're working on culture and vision, That's that's can be done afar in your office. Uh, it's fun building a business. But Joshua, you said, I, I think there should be more education in franchising with candidates. And hopefully we can do that with our clients on the exit of a business. I think a lot of people lose sight of, they're not just replacing it. They're hoping to replace an income. They're building an asset that they can sell. And I mean, it's so, I can't, you know, talk about specific earnings, but some of these exits for a franchisee can be, you know, generational wealth if they've built up over years of time and they have multiple units. Um, can you touch on that a bit? You know, do you do you guys educate your franchisees on the end goal of exiting and how important
3: looking toward that asset is? We speak about exit strategy all the time because we want our franchisees to be thinking about that, and we tell people all the time. If you if you're sitting here looking me in the face today and trying to tell me that you're building you're starting this business to create a legacy of something that you can build a business to pass along to your children and potentially your grandchildren, you're lying to yourself because you don't know what's going to happen between now and then. And then more importantly, look yourself in the mirror. And are you today, as the franchise buyer, doing what your parents did for a living probably not very few people unless they're working in a family business are doing what their parents did so think about are you really as a parent today supposed to be launching a business so that your kids can step into it later how do you know that their interests are going to align with yours so you really need to look at this that it's being started for one to two main reasons number one to get a return on your investment in your time And number two, to be able to exit it and create that legacy wealth. Your family will be much happier with that money in your pocket and invested working for you versus having to step in to run a business to continue to keep that income coming from it. So it's an open conversation we have. We speak openly about our exit strategy at the horsepower brands level. You know, we're on a mission to grow 25 brands by 2025. And we see a long-term exit for us of taking this organization public. We like the idea of Zach and I continuing to run the business, give all of our employees, friends, family, franchisees, as well as their friends and family and people that didn't have the ability financially to invest in one of our business opportunities, invest by being able to buy stock in our organization. And so it's extremely important. And we're always talking to people about this stuff because we believe that there is a lot of frustration in a franchisee's, experience in the first 12 years when they're in, in the first 12 months, not 12 years, that they're, they're measuring the money they're making out of the business against their existing income. And just so honed in and focused on that replacement of income, but they forget. Like I tell my kids when they ask me the question, dad, how much money do you make a year? I'm like, dude, that's a loaded question because how much money I take in cash a year is different than the realized annual income when I take an asset that I've built and I sell it five years later. You know, if I I take a business and sell it in five years for 50 million bucks, guess what? I make $10 million a year off of that business, plus whatever cash I took out of it. So that's where there's confusion and people overlooked that. And these businesses, when, when people think about investing with us, the saturation point we're going to reach across the country with our businesses is second to none in comparison to a lot of our competition because we know what we're doing. And once we get all of our brands to a saturation point across the country, the franchise community of owners within the franchise system are going to control the multiple that the business sells at. An average mom and pop business might sell at one to three times earnings, but look at a saturated franchise model. You want to go out and buy a McDonald's? You want to go buy a Dunkin' Donuts? You don't just pick up the phone and call the franchise owner and say, hey, I want to buy one of those. Where's the available territory? They're sold out. You got to go pay a premium. To someone that's going to resell you one, and guess what? They're going to name their price, and that's the situation we want to put our our franchisees in as well. I think that's amazing. I th- I hope the audience
0: listening understands and appreciates the value of working with a franchisor that really has the has started with the end in mind and has thought through a lot of these things. Not every franchise is created equal, obviously, and uh, and obviously, it's it's so it's so key to keep those things in mind as you're considering which which brands and which options to consider. And ultimately at the end of the day, I think it's makes a ton of sense to bet on the jockey, not just the horse. Obviously there's some great, some great vehicles here with the, some of the brands you all have, but I think the leadership team and how well thought out the vision is, is, is critical. So that's fantastic. One thing I wanted to touch on too, cause Josh mentioned this a little bit was multi-brand ownership within the horsepower, uh, team, I guess. So does some, can someone start out with, let's say, a Mighty Dog and then acquire a Blingle? What is your thoughts on that? What is the time frame that you would uh, typically like to see that done in? And what does that all look like? And what is your perspective on that,
2: Zach? Yeah. I, so for us, a few things have to be done. Number one, if they start with one brand, we, we don't allow people to start with two brands. Uh, I mean, we can't launch two franchises at the same time. And so when someone that's never been a business owner thinks they can launch two franchise businesses at the same time or working full time, uh, you know, I love the confidence, but it, 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 it's, not, it's not realized. Uh, so for us, they start with one brand, uh, they, they launch successfully, they have all of the structure in place, and they are removed from the business. So they have to have the GM in place that's been through training, they have to be in operation, and they have to be successful. Uh, they have to have a unanimous approval from the leadership team of the individual brand they're a franchisee of. So they have to be good to work with. They have to be uh, the right culture fit, and the uh, the brand president, director of operations, the marketing, the all five member, all five members of the leadership team of that brand have to unanimous, unanimously approve that person for another brand. And we've had two that have been, and we've had two that haven't. And uh, so when they get approved, we then go to make sure, do you, are you financially qualified to continue to run this business as well as fund another business? Do you have post-closing liquidity? You can't just say, I'm doing this business from cash. All right. Do you have enough post-closing liquidity after that cash to be able to sustain it if something goes wrong? Or, uh, uh, so we don't want to, as Josh said a little bit earlier, we don't want to rob Peter to feed Paul. So we need people that are removed from the business, have the infrastructure in place, Uh, are the right culture fit and have unanimous approval from the leadership team of that specific brand, Uh, have the the right capital to launch that brand successfully. Uh, And and after that, you know, there's very limited things that we can do to determine how successful they'll be. We currently have two franchisees uh, that are multi-brand operators and we're about to have a third. One thing I want to
3: back up on real quick, guys, when we talked about the semi-absentee thing, One of the things that Zach and I have seen with a lot of our franchisees that came into this business with the idea of wanting to be semi-absentee have actually invested far more hours on a weekly basis into the business because they've grown to love it. And so while they came into it and looked at it like this, we want this to be a semi-absentee investment, and this might be their first business venture, they're actually looking to exit their full-time career much sooner than they had originally planned for. Because as soon as they get involved in their own business and they get a great team around them and they grow to love it as much as they are, they're, they're realizing the control of their financial future of truly living the American dream of business ownership and the autonomy that it creates. You know, I've had multiple franchisees say, I came into this planning to put 10 to 15 hours into it. I'm putting in a solid 25, 30 and I love it. I've got more freedom than I've ever, than, than I've ever had. And I can already see the light at the end of the tunnel of how I can grow this thing to not only replace my existing income, but exceed it by two, three, four times. And so they know that being in the driver's seat and being able to control that is giving them the confidence and that level of confidence to leave the existing income much sooner than what they were thinking they were going to do.
2: Well, I I want to add one thing. that One of the things that we've implemented recently so, so we do all the recruiting for our franchisees. We help them find their key individuals that operate their businesses. We aid in that. We help them find subcontractors. But with uh, we launched this recently with Heroes, where we have a general manager program. And that's where after a year in business, they get a minimum of 3 to 5% phantom equity in that business. And every year they get 3 to 5%, where I think it caps out between 10 and 25%. We take that program, and it's optional for the franchisee to do, but if they elect to do that, our recruiting team takes that program into the recruiting space and leverages uh, that opportunity to find more qualified people to run those businesses. And we've had uh, I mean, just in the short term, the feedback uh, that we've gotten off that is, is astounding. I mean, it's an immediate reaction where the quality of people and the intellectual capital that we're able to acquire is, is completely different. And I think I think you mentioned something on this earlier, Dan. But that recruiting the ability to leverage that to recruit better people for people that uh, that want to have an executive or semi-absentee model, it creates I think a, a, an easier runway, an easier run rate. But it also helps uh, it helps create the better foundation for them to be multi-brand operators. And
0: anyone that ever wonders why the heck should I pay a damn royalty this is why this is the value that that a a good franchisor can really provide so very very important to, to take that into consideration well all right well we're bumping up across the top of the hour you've both been very generous with your time really appreciate the insights here any parting advice or wisdom final thoughts that you would provide to any candidates considering franchising considering becoming a franchisee and even more specifically becoming a franchisee through one of the horsepower brands? Josh,
3: you want to start? Big thing I recommend is you'll find very quickly in any one of our development processes with one of our brands that it is clear we do a lot more for our franchisees, even well beyond what's required of us uh, per the franchise agreement. Uh, you, You will find very quickly as you begin working with us and you look at other opportunities that we create a lot of distance in the quality of what we offer to our franchisees use what we have to offer as a benchmark and don't be afraid to challenge other franchisors. You'll, you'll hear a lot of people that will speak to uh, adding additional services that will benefit you as a franchisee once a business gets to a certain stage or growth. You want to work with a franchisor that has made the financial injection of capital and believes in themselves to put the infrastructure in place and invest in that intellectual capital, as we like to call it, to make their franchisee successful. You'll be hard pressed to find a franchise system in the industry that delivers the level of reporting and transparency that we have, because we will provide the numbers within your business to you every which way to Sunday that will help you to really identify all the trends and everything that's happening in your business so that we put you in a position for being successful. I clearly think that us, and and it comes from a level of confidence, not arrogance, That at Horsepower Brands, we are clearly playing chess while a lot of our competition is still playing checkers. Love it. How about you, Zach?
2: I, I was a franchisee that filed bankruptcy. So I've, I mean, I've, I've, I've went through the, what if this doesn't work and hit rock bottom, had to rebuild. And I've partnered with great people to build something that's unlike anything that I've ever experienced. And there's five things when people ask me what to look for in a franchise, there's five things that I tell them what to look for. And the first one that is the most experienced or the most important is experience. Most franchise concepts have never been a franchise or before. How on earth would they know what to do if they've never done it? And Josh and I have now done this six times together. So we're the only company in franchise that has experience, that is well capitalized, that's making acquisitions of brands with less than five units and successfully growing a franchise. There is no one else doing this but us. And that's because it's hard, but we like it and we like to win and we like to play in the trenches and and we're workers and we have great people that work for the organization, but what we're doing is is substantially different than anybody else. There you
1: have it. Thank you guys for joining us, Zach Butler. Josh Skolnack, Christian Dadalak. Talk soon.